Good evening, everyone. Before we get into tonight's stories, I do want to mention that um, I'm finally not sick. I got over whatever I had, um, which is good because that means it probably wasn't COVID. I know that's been going around again. Um, Also, I might sound a little bit different. I moved my office into a new room and therefore, you know, different acoustics and all this and all that. But hopefully everything sounds good and uh, you don't doesn't bother you too much. By the way, let's get into tonight's stories. The room where they keep the dead boy smelled of flowers. It was a large, well-appointed room stuffed with plush furniture and knick-knacks and looking in almost every detail like what I'd now imagine an old-fashioned parlor looked like. Clustered at different points around the room were various explosions of colors. Flowers of red and white, purple and orange, they looked like fireworks in the backdrop of what had sounded to the ten-year-old version of me like a pretty macabre display. I heard them talking about taking me to see the dead boy after all. When you're sick, really deathly sick, there comes a point where people stop seeing you as much. It doesn't mean that they don't care for you or still love you, that they wouldn't give just about anything to make you well, but That's just it. Because they don't want to lose you, and because they're afraid of worrying and feeling scared, they want to fix you. And it doesn't take too long before you become less of a person and more of a problem to be solved. So, when we'd finished with all the doctors and moved on to the medicine men and faith healers to heal my defective heart, I'd grown used to being the ghost in the room. A year earlier, my mother would never have said dead boy in front of me at all, but riding with me and my aunt over there that day, she'd said it without flinching because, in part of her mind at least, I wasn't really there anymore. So I went to that room terrified. I probably would have fought them if I hadn't already crossed the precipice where I now understood I was close to dying. That knowledge had infected me with a kind of desperation, and even as a pale and frightened child of ten, I found I was willing to meet the dead if it might keep me among the living. But the boy wasn't actually dead. Or at least he didn't look to be. His dark eyes followed me when I entered the room. I'd wanted my mother or aunt to come with me, but that apparently wasn't allowed. So I'd shuffled into that ancient parlor and sat down across from the boy that was watching me silently. It didn't take long before I had to break the awkward silence. Hey there. The boy nodded slightly. Hello. I felt my stomach twisting, but I tried to force a smile. Uh, I heard my mom calling you a dead boy, but... You look okay. Why do they call you that? He looked to be a couple of years younger than me, and yet I found myself uh, intimidated by him, worried that he wouldn't answer, that he'd get mad and hurt me somehow. Instead, he just shrugged. Last year, my papa took me off. He said he went crazy. He took me down into a cave up north, threw me down a waterhole deep in that black. I stared at him transfixed. His voice was soft and rough, but he did sound kind of like a little boy. Except he didn't. 
The tone and words were wrong, and as strange as this may sound, it didn't feel like I was sitting across from a boy a little younger than me. It felt like... And he killed himself. Right at the spot he cast me down. My mom people had been after us from the start. Had dogs in the cave hunting for us. So close they heard the gun go off when he shot himself. They figured out to check the water and three men dove in to try and find me. He shook his head slightly. One of them drowned. The other two got me up but I wasn't breathing or nothing. Had to do that CPA on me. Said I died for a couple of minutes at least. Swallowing, I realized that he was staring at me, waiting for some reaction or response. That... I'm sorry that happened, I guess. But they got you back. His black eyes rolled toward the corner of the room behind me. Yeah, they got me. And now I can see more things. Understand more things. His gaze swung back to me. And give people another chance to live. My pulse began to quicken with a mixture of fear and hope. Can you really? No bullshit? A flicker of a smile crossed his face. No bullshit. You want that? You want the things I can give? I was already nodding. If you can save me, yes. The next moment he was kneeling in front of me, his hand on my breastbone, a bitter, painful cold radiating from his small palm into my chest and feeling my entire body with a numbing frost. He stared into my eyes as he made a small circle with his hand, his gaze or movements never faltering. I felt like I was staring down into deep subterranean pools, falling into their darkness and being overtaken by their invading... There. I blinked and the boy was back over on the sofa, looking at me mildly as I gasped like a drowning victim reaching sweet air. What? What is you? He shrugged again. I pictured you without a dying heart. So now you're okay. Just then his expression hardened. But that's only half of it. I also have to tell you what I saw. I was so happy and confused and dizzyingly excited that I barely heard the last, but the next words he spoke caught my attention well enough. I saw a certain fire. There was a big metal barrel with green trees painted on it, and in it a giant orange fire was burning. He got a lot of living to do before that, but I could see that barrel burning, and I knew that you were in it. I knew that I'd found you and chopped you up small and put you in that fire to burn. His voice remained even throughout all of this, and his expression barely changed either. Just his eyes seemed to sparkle a bit when he talked about what he would do to me. In most situations, ten-year-old me would have made a joke or just laughed at something I didn't understand because I was nervous, but something in the core of me it knew that this wasn't someone being weird or funny. I was staring into the face of something that I didn't understand, but that a part of me still knew to fear. When 
I stood up, a distant part of me realized I had started wetting myself, but there was no room for embarrassment. Only fear and the drive to get out of this terrible, sickly, sweet room with this wrong thing that looked like a little boy coiled at its center. I ran to the door and began screaming and crying while yanking on the knob. I don't think it was even locked, but I couldn't get it open until my aunt opened it from the other side and swept me into her arms. To their credit, when I told my family I wanted to go, they didn't hesitate. It wasn't until later, when I was home and bathed and safe in my bed, my mother asked me what had happened in that room. I looked at her, tears in my eyes, and said just three words before falling silent again. He healed me. That was 26 years ago. Since then, I've always had that afternoon lurking in the back of my mind, coloring my thoughts and putting a small thumb on the scales of every decision. If I asked 18-year-old me if he went to college out of state because of it, he'd have said no. 23-year-old me would have laughed at the idea that he's a good job across the country because of some prophecy he'd received years earlier from a creepy little boy. And when 23-year-old me was going through a divorce and moved even further away from my old hometown, he would have said he didn't even remember being that sick when he was little. But none of them would have met my eyes when they said it. Because the deepest part of me has always known that I've always been running. Always telling myself that I make my own path and choose my own fate while looking behind me for the train I'm afraid is coming. No, it's not quite right. Not a train. A fire. A certain fire that will appear one night, burning in the dark, like a beacon, guiding me back to the thing that I've been trying to escape since that afternoon when I was so scared I pissed myself. It wasn't until I was carrying Haley back to the car yesterday that I realized how close it was. Our girl was the one that saw it. She was laughing and talking about how my neighborhood was so fancy and we were decorating for Christmas way too early. I looked to where she was pointing and I saw it too. A new burn barrel in the middle of a grassy courtyard between all the buildings and the apartment complex. A 30-gallon metal drum with alternating horizontal bands of white and red, and in the middle of the white, smaller specks of green. A tiny row of stenciled-on Christmas trees. My hands were shaking as I drove her to the airport. She knew something was wrong, but I just told her that it was my ulcer acting up and that I'd be okay. She offered to stay another couple of days, but I told her I'd be fine and that you'd be missing her. When she called me later after you picked her up and brought her home, I let her go to voicemail. I... I didn't want to... I didn't want her to hear me like that. Like this. I'm recording this now because I want you to know what happened. How much you tell her, well... You were always a better judge of stuff than I was anyway. 
When she called, I was standing out on the balcony, looking down at the orange flame in that barrel, trying to make out the features of the man standing beside it. Nothing matters. I know who it is down there waiting for me. I wonder how we'll do it. I think I'm done with the idea of running, and as strange as it seems, I don't know if I'll even fight when the time comes, though maybe instinct will kick in. But I'm more focused on how he'll do it. Does he have a knife? Or a gun? A hammer? Will he literally dismember my body and burn me in that barrel? What if someone sees? What if he gets caught? I don't think any of that matters. I think he does what he sees. Maybe he's trapped just like I am. Maybe he's, he's been trapped since they pulled him from that dark water in his father's suicide cave. But looking down at him, I find that none of that really matters. I'm ten years old again, standing at the edge of some unknowable darkness, feeling the cold air as it yawns wide and gets ready to swallow me whole. It's time for me to go. I always loved you. I love our baby girl, and I'm sorry that I never told you any of this before. I can feel him staring up at me. Oh, God. I can feel him from here. I'm climbing the railing, but it's not me. It's not me doing it. I don't want to die. I'm not killing myself. I'm not... Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. My boyfriend Ted and I have been dating for three years, living together for two. Up until a few weeks ago, things were going great. He'd never given me any reason to think that something was amiss in our relationship. That was until I found the hair. Ted had taken a trip to grab a glass of water when I saw it. A long strand of stringy black hair glaring at me from the sofa cushion. My heart plummeted into my gut. It obviously wasn't mine. I'm blonde. Hey, babe, what's this? I asked, pinching the hair between my fingers. Confusion swept across his visage. Ew, I don't know. Where'd you find that? In your seat. You're not lying to me, are you? No, of course not. Teddy, I said, narrowing my eyes on him and tapping my foot. He locked eyes with me, a stern gaze unwavering, and told me, Stacy, I would never lie to you. You know that. A pang of guilt stabbed me in the chest like a butcher knife. Maybe he wasn't lying. I could have come from anywhere. Maybe you picked it up from a patient at work. I, I don't know. Can we go back to watching the movie now? I guess that makes sense. Mrs. Brandon does have black hair. See? It's gotta be it. 
You're getting yourself all worked up over nothing. Yeah, you're probably right. Anxiety's getting the best of me again. Sorry, babe. I tossed the hair into the trash can beside the couch and patted his spot. Though Ted had managed to convince me that he was telling the truth, something still felt off, like a nagging sensation that I couldn't shake. I should have trusted it. The remainder of the week passed without incident. Ted went about his business, and I didn't press him any further on the ordeal. But then it happened again. I had just returned home from work, ready to settle in for my relaxing three-day break from the ER. Nurses are seriously overworked, let me tell you. I kicked off my shoes and sank into the couch. I looked to my left and groaned. TV remote was missing again. I fished beneath the cushions, grappling aimlessly until my hand brushed against something solid. Aha! I triumphantly yanked the elusive bastard from his hiding place and held it up to the light. My jaw dropped when I finally laid eyes on it. A bright red hair was snared beneath my thumb. White, hot rage bubbled within me. How could he betray me like that? The man had looked directly into the windows of my soul and lied straight to my face. I was disgusted. I marched up the stairs where Ted lay in our shared bed, snoozing soundly. I was beyond pissed, and I wanted answers. Ted! Ted, wake up! I growled, shaking his arm. He groggily opened his eyes. Hey, babe. What's up? What's up? (laughs) What's up? This is what's up. I hissed, shoving the red hair in his face. What color is this, Ted? Huh? Where'd you get that? And why are you asking me about it at one in the morning? You're the one who found it. Maybe it came from you. Ted, I found this on the couch. I have blonde hair. You have brown hair. Whose fucking hair is this? I don't know. I've never seen it before. Your friend Beth has red hair, right? Maybe it's hers. I pondered for a moment. I'd completely forgotten about Beth. I did have her over the week prior. Seemed like a plausible enough explanation. I, um... Didn't think about that. Sorry. I won't bring it up again. I conceded. Cheeks blossoming with color. It's fine. I'm going back to sleep now. Good night. Night, I mumbled, slinking away in defeat. Was I overreacting? Surely Ted was right. I mean, hair clings to everything. Either one of us could have tracked it in. I again lulled myself into a sense of security. That had to be it. There was nothing nefarious going on. Right? I told myself that like a mantra for the rest of my break. The next week started like any other. I muddled through one 12-hour shift with another one lined up for the next day. Needless to say, I was beat. Once I got home, I beelined straight for the shower. I was itching to feel that scalding water soothing my pores. Steam clouded the mirror as I discarded my scrubs and let my hair down. 
I stepped in, leaning closer as the scorching droplets flowed down my back. I allowed myself a moment to revel in my fiery paradise, all the tension from my shift washing down the drain. Until I looked down. Once I opened my eyes, I nearly threw up, because a fat glob of jet black hair was clogging the drain. I stared at it in dumbstruck shock. Ted was lying. I'd been right all along. I snatched a couple of towels from the rack, one for my hair and one for my body, and furiously wrapped myself up. As the steam began to dissipate, I began noticing things that I'd missed in my weary stupor. There was a crack in the mirror that hadn't been there before. Claw marks were etched in the drywall in several places. Oh god, was that nasty slut's period blood all over the floor? That time I did throw up, all over the crimson-stained linoleum. Even if it was with my half-digested lunch, covering the splotches on the floor left me with a small semblance of comfort. But that immediately dissipated when I realized what Ted had done. He'd been having rough sex with some dirty skank in our bedroom, hadn't he? If he'd been this sloppy about it, he surely wasn't worried about using protection either. My head began to spin, my vision grew hazy. This couldn't be happening. Up until recently, Ted had been a loving, faithful partner, but the evidence was there, the writing on the wall. And it infuriated me. I stomped downstairs with fire in my eyes. I was seeing red. I marched to the basement where I knew Ted was hiding. I cautiously descended the stairs, careful to avoid the creaky steps, even in my own overwhelming fury. I stomped halfway down. A muffled noise drifted from behind the door. I crept down the remaining stairs, pressing my ear up to the peeling white paint. And that's when I heard it. Heavy thumps accompanied by hushed screams. I knew that sound. Those were the moans of pleasure, that absolute waste of space. He was still going at it. My head buzzed with a nauseating concoction of pain, grief, and anger. In the end, rage won out. I seized the door handle, determined to catch them in the act. Locked. <laughs> Should have known. The rational part of me would have come up with a plan. Find a spare key, take pictures of the bathroom to use as proof, wait outside the door for them to inevitably come out. Any of those options would have been smarter than what I did next. Ted? Ted, you sick piece of shit, open this damn door. I screamed, pounding fervently against the flimsy wooden frame. I could hear a sudden commotion. Hey, get in there. Ow. Thunk. Uh, just a minute, honey. Ted, I swear if you don't get your slimy ass out here right now, I'm going... The door swung open and I was suddenly face to face with the man I used to love so dearly. His hair was disheveled, obviously from the sex, and flecks of blood were splattered across his hands. Hey, baby, I thought you weren't supposed to be in till midnight. Couldn't contain my fury any longer. I slapped him hard across the face. Tears began welling in my eyes. I got off at eight, you son of a bitch. How could you do this to me? I work grueling 12-hour shifts, sometimes longer to support us, and this is the thanks I get? Coming home to you banging some... 
some slut. We're done. I'm sorry. I don't want to see your face ever again. I turned to walk away. But Teddy grabbed my arm. Wait, Stacy, just give me a chance to explain. I wasn't having an affair. I, you weren't having an affair. Do you seriously expect me to believe that? I can see the little horse black hair sticking out from that cabinet. You must think I'm a complete moron if you expect me to buy that for even a second. Goodbye, Ted. Have a nice... No, you know what? Have a shit lice, you spineless dick. I spun around, feeling Ted's grip on my arm slipping away. Suddenly, the cabinet doors crashed open. Please, I need help. The homewrecker cried. I balled my fist, my blood boiled. This chick ruined my relationship, and now she was making up excuses. Pathetic. Goddamn right you do. Go see a psychiatrist. I scoffed without so much as a glance in her direction. I couldn't bring myself to look at either of them. I began to make my way back up the stairs. I tried to put on a tough demeanor, but truth be told, I was dying inside. I made it three steps when my hair was violently yanked back. What the fuck, Ted, you... A rag was crudely stuffed over my mouth, silencing me. Heavy chemicals assaulted my nostrils. I could feel myself fading. I glanced up as my vision began to blur. My blood turned to ice at what I saw. Ted was standing above me, smiling. Those depraved, soulless pupils were the last things I saw before my world went dark. I awoke in a pitch-black space. I was slumped against a wooden panel of some sort. I felt around the walls for something, anything to help me get an idea of where I was. Nothing. Just that same smooth material all the way around the cramped confines. Then I got an idea. I frantically patted my pockets. Yes! Somehow, Ted had forgotten to take my phone. It was heavily damaged, assuming that I fell on it, but I was able to access the flashlight. I stifled a scream when it illuminated my surroundings. I was trapped in a wooden cabinet. That wasn't the part that made me want to vomit right then and there. The whole thing was drenched in blood and viscera. The walls were a deep crimson color and chunks of organs and sinew lay discarded throughout my tiny prison. What the f- I suddenly clasped a hand over my own mouth. I heard noises from outside. It sounded like someone vehemently chopping meat like the sickening splat of a meat cleaver carving flesh. My heart plummeted into my gut. Ted couldn't really be. I couldn't process it. Hell, I still can't. I don't want to believe that the man I loved so deeply can turn out to be such a monster, but the writing is on the wall. Literally. That brings me to now. I'm still stuck in this disgusting cesspool. I've tried calling the police, but my phone keeps glitching and returning to the home screen whenever I press on the phone app. Fortunately, Reddit still works, so I'm asking you all for help, because I found something a few minutes ago among all the gristle and entrails that's making my head spin. I'm staring at a bloody notebook. 
filled with a plethora of women's names. Each of them has been furiously scratched out. Except for one. Mine. 